many of you have been to the theatre recently? Ah, oh, right. Oh, well done. A few of you have managed to get out and things. How many of you have seen, not just recently, but Joseph and his Technicolor dream coat? Oh, quite a few of you. That's quite good. How many of you have ever read the story about Joseph in um, Genesis? That might be a few more of them. Good, because that means I'm going to skip quite a lot of details because most of you know the story. Because obviously we've got a lot of things to get through this morning. So I've tried to cut this down as much as possible. So we're going to start, as has already been said by Nathan, we're talking about imperfect people in the hands of an imperfect God. And we're going to be looking at Joseph, if you haven't worked that one out. Now, Joseph has quite a history. Um, his mother, Rachel, was a liar and a thief. His brothers murdered and plundered and caused disrespect to their father, um, creating a need for the community to actually move. He has 12 brothers who have four different mothers, um, which caused an atmosphere, I should think, of resentment, jealousy, rivalry, um, among them all. Reuben, one of the brothers, sleeps with the father's, one of the father's concubine. Joseph is, as you know, Jacob's favourite son. He was indulged and he was spoilt which meant he could do a bit of telltaling on his brothers and go and say things, which again caused them to get really annoyed and angry with him. He was given that famous coat, you know, that technicolour coat, by his father, again causing more resentment, more jealousy. Joseph, at 17, was quite an immature teenager, really, who... Um, who had these dreams, all right? And he goes and does a stupid thing and tells his brother. So his brothers hate him even more. And, um, and this all happens within this dysfunctional family. Um, his brothers plot to kill him, but instead he's stole, sold into slavery. And I believe he must have had some amazing feelings of loneliness, rejection, worthlessness, isolation and at the end I think we also find out he's quite homesick as well what a background <laughs> not a lot going for him really is there and not a lot to look forward to but God had a plan and a purpose for his life and he used him in Genesis 39 we find that he's been sold into sold into slavery to one of Pharaoh's officials the captain of the guard, who in time saw the Lord had given Joseph success in everything he did. So Potiphar decides to put everything in charge, his whole household, his fields, into Joseph's hands, and God bless Potiphar through it. Life, see, life, I keep moving away, sorry, <laughs> life seems to be improving. He was more mature and obviously learning how to manage a whole household and all of Potiphar's affairs, both in the house and within the, in the fields. And also, he was developing new skills. This was until Potiphar's wife tries to make him sin against God and against his master. He shows integrity and wisdom 
and tries not to place himself in the same places where she was. Now, this is beginning to show a development of maturity and loyalty to his master and um, the maturity of, of God in him as well. He didn't want to sin, and I'm pretty sure he didn't want to sin because he'd seen the sin in his own family. Joseph was arrested, and he could have received the death penalty. But I wonder if Portifer realized that this could have been his wife's doing. Um, and he got angry, not necessarily because of what he'd done to his wife, or hadn't done to his wife, but he got angry because it meant he was no longer blessed um, in that position. He, he was losing a good servant and somebody who was blessing his household. But obviously he couldn't disregard his wife. You know, you men, you know, you don't disregard what your wife says, all right? So he couldn't really disregard his wife. So Joseph was dismissed from his service and sent to prison. But it wasn't the common prison where all the prisoners went. It was Pharaoh's prison where he sent his prisoners. Again, Joseph was granted favour by the warder and was given loads of responsibilities, which the Lord again blessed, giving him success. Now, the next chapter, Mr. Page, the next chapter it tells us about the cupbearer and the king, uh, the cupbearer and the baker, who displeased Pharaoh, and he puts them into custody of guess who? The captain of the guard, Portifer. He takes them to the prison he's in charge of and assigns Joseph to look after them. In these passages, Joseph had the favour of man and God, and he blessed him in whatever he did. Last week, Lizzie shared enthusiastically about little lights and how it had blossomed and grown. How St. Peter's advertised it on the loo doors. How they were thinking and planning to run antenatal classes here. Is that right? Yeah, good. Got that right. How people have been sent to revive, being told they will receive a warm welcome and be helped. And these people are not connected with the church. The growth of food bank, cooking on a budget, revive, just a helping hand, all appear to have the blessing and favour of God and man on them. God gave Joseph the opportunity to develop skills both personally and in the job he was doing. He had a plan for him in the people he put in his path and the jobs he did. He gave him patience and started to develop his faith. Well, developed it more. Are there situations where you think, I can't see why this is happening, or what am I doing? God has a plan for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, 12, it says, For I have, sorry, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. When I look back over my life, 
I know some people think she's confident, she's very capable, and even some of you think I'm scary. Um, that's not the case. My husband will tell you that. <laughs> I've experienced many things in my life. Rejection, abuse, lack of confidence, feelings of inferiority, because I've never felt good enough or clever enough. As a child, I had difficulty learning to read. And I spent some time in what they called then a remedial class at the age of 10. I was never in the top streams in school, but managed to get CSE grade ones through working really hard. And I'd managed to scrape through two O-levels, which got me to sixth form. The deputy head in the sixth form said to me, I told her I wanted to be a teacher and I was going to apply to Bishop Paula Teacher Training College. And she said, you'll never get in there. Um, I always wanted to teach and had visited this college um, whilst in my secondary school. And I sort of was drawn to it. That's where I was going to go. I had an interview and had an unconditional acceptance, which was amazing as I failed my A-levels. <laughs> but, but I could start on the certificate course at the time and then join the three-year B.Ed. And later, because my grades were good enough I, and I worked hard, I was able to do the four-year honours. Like most people, I started to think about applying for jobs. And I thought, I'd work in Chichester. You know, that's a nice college, nice place or near my home in Hindhead. Out of the blue. I have no idea. I have a phone call from a head teacher asking me to an interview to a school in Chertsey, which was at the time St Thomas the Apostle School, if any of you know it, um, Roman Catholic School, to teach science to 13-year-olds. This wasn't the school I thought about applying to, or the age group. I like the little ones. I would, yeah, I would apply. To, uh, no, I'm sorry, I lost myself. I came to the interview, which didn't go brilliantly, but got offered the job. Not sure why I accepted it, but I did. <laughs> only to find out that Keith lived in Esher and it wasn't far away. Because at the time, I didn't even know where Chertsey was, to be honest. I had no idea where Chertsey was. I'd met him in Chichester through a college friend and her, and her church. At the same time as getting the job, another friend got a place in the, to do a PhD in Weybridge National Food Technology College. And she needed somebody to share their flat. So I went along and did that, shared with her. So I moved to Chertsey, started teaching. The story and the plan goes on. <laughs> but as, they, as you can see, I got married. I'm still in Chertsey. We moved into a house that we couldn't afford, that God just provided for us. And so the story goes on. But in accepting this job... I also realised I didn't feel very confident because this was, this, this was not my age group, all right? It was way up my um, 
It wasn't an age group I'd experienced with, really. At that time, I didn't have classroom assistants, and we had classes of 36 children. And I taught science. <laughs> so, working with 36 children with bunts and burners, <laughs> you can imagine what it could be like. So I needed to remember that I had... I couldn't go and leave them, leave 36 children with bunts and burners. They'd be setting pencils on fire, you know. So I had to go and make sure I had all the equipment necessary. You had to prep it up, have it all necessary. But through this, I developed mainly organisation skills. It wasn't that I wasn't organised, but more organisation skills, and particularly looking at detail. God helped develop these skills, which I've been able to use in the church. For example, I've organised teams for different things, um, and I've also done, if Cornelius, Jean and Helen and Paul remember, wedding receptions. <laughs> I ran one of those. So, Joseph wasn't in a position of authority straight away. He started off tending flocks. When I first became a Christian, somebody said to me, service begins at the kitchen sink. With little things, God can bless. Through these little things, God blesses us. If you have a heart to serve and obey. Now, going back to Joseph, the, the cupbearer and baker have dreams. Dreams in Egypt were part of their culture and they expected to interpretation. And Joseph told them, do not the interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. It is evident from this that his faith had grown. God gave him the interpretation and it was interesting to note, both were told that in three days... They would either be free to serve Pharaoh in the case of the cupbearer or be executed, as in the case of the baker. Also in three days, it was Pharaoh's birthday. Not a coincidence that the dreams occurred just before then. Because th th these events helped to confirm to Joseph that God was the interpreter of dreams within his plan. However... As you know, the cupbearer forgot about Joseph for two years. Pharaoh had two dreams. Joseph had continued to serve faithfully, even though he was probably disappointed, and the waiting must have seemed endless. And it probably increased his faith and tested his faith, but it and gave him patience. How often... Do we think things should happen straight away? But we have to wait. Joseph is taken to Pharaoh and he tells him God can give him the interpretation. Joseph's previous experience of seeing the dreams come true for the cupbearer and king, including the three days, must have filled him with faith. And confidence, and often when we step step out in things and see things happen, that is the same for us. It gives us gives us confidence and faith. Not only does he interpret the dream, but gives Pharaoh a strategy to deal with the famine, which shows wisdom 
and his sermon, and Pharaoh recognizes the Spirit of God on him. And he uses the skills and experiences from working from Potiphar and the prison warden to help him do this. And I think it should be up there. He should be going up there, actually. Um, so you can see the strategy that he put in. When we do things for God, he gives us the authority in Jesus' name and, help, and the help of the Holy Spirit. Just as Pharaoh gave his signet ring and other things to de- demonstrate the authority that Joseph could have had. Joseph saved many Egyptians, his own family and those from other countries, to fulfill God's purpose. He realized, even though through many trials, a variety of emotions, his security was in God alone, and there was no one else. He realized the plan God had for his life was for good. Where does your security lie? Is it in friends, relatives, jobs, money, belongings? Or are you trusting in God? As a church, we have contact with many different people. Yesterday, I was in Revive with a friend who couldn't believe the number of mums that came in with their buggies and things, and how the staff knew so many people's names. Now, the church leaders have been looking for strategies to know how best we can serve each other and those we come into contact with. Hence the letters about looking at a new pastoral care initiative that have been sent out, many of you have received them. Thank you for all those who have returned them or spoken to me about them, especially for those who have been honest about what they could and could not commit to. This is not something where you're signing up for life or anything. It's an occasional thing for those that might not return. It's an occasional thing. And I've been really encouraged by some of the things that have come through. And I'm just going to take this time quickly to share a couple of... The church, as we're looking at it, comes across as a church willing to pray in many areas. People have gifts and talents which have been hidden. Different people have a heart to serve in particular areas. Joseph's strategy for it to work required team effort. There's no way he could have done that on his own. The church initiative involves all, including the children. It cannot be left to the faithful few who will get burnt out and exhausted. It is to prepare and be ready for growth. It is to support and encourage each other practically, but also spiritually to grow and to stand firm in your faith. Joseph shows how an imperfect person can be used in the hands of a perfect God. So don't discount yourself from being used in the areas where you think you have nothing to offer. God has a plan God had a plan for his own son. We've been singing a bit about it earlier. That he should come to the earth as a baby, serve and die a gruesome death on a cross, that that we might be forgiven and be able to have eternal life if we choose to follow him. 
Can you see God's plan in your life for you to reach? Can you see God's plan in your life for you to reach out to Jesus? This is for non-Christians, really. Has he been nudging you over a period of time towards making a commitment? If you feel this, then I'm sure we can pray for you later. While I was doing this, there were a couple of words that also came to me, which I'll um, just share. The first one was there are a number of people who are discounting themselves because of your circumstances. And God wants to say to you, I am powerful, gentle, tender. I won't break a broken reed. And I saw this picture of also a broken, um, a bent reed. And in Matthew 12, 20, it says, a bruised reed he will not break. And a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. All right? And that's, I think, for some people that are really struggling with a lot of things at the moment. And the second one was, um, I heard two words last week which sort of resounded in my heart, really. Um, and I think God wants the church to hear these two words, and, but also to act on it as well. The words were imposter spirit. I have heard over a long time, recently, two years or whatever, I have heard and I've experienced myself within our church and other churches, people saying they're feeling confused. I've lost confidence. Feel they're not good enough. They feel afraid. They're disqualifying themselves. They can't cope. They feel they don't belong. They don't know anybody. These are lies. I'm not saying you don't feel that, but I'm saying that they're lies that have come to to take away the unity within our fellowship. Right? They're coming to destroy. They're lies of the enemy. We, as we all have a place in the body of Christ, we all are worthy, we have all sinned, and we're all forgiven. If you've been thinking or feeling any of these things, then I'm sure we'll have some time of prayer afterwards. And I also had a thing about... Um, my, one of my grandsons has got this toy that's a train that goes round and round and round this track. It makes this horrible noise and it keeps going and going and going. And also, you know, sometimes when you hear a tune, it goes round and round and round in your head. And I just felt that um, sometimes you need to stop, you need to pick up the toy and stop it, or you need to turn around. And that's sometimes, somebody might be, we need to do that sometimes in our lives. We don't have to stop, no, I'm not listening to that anymore. Or I just move away from it and do something else. Now, there are some practical things that we can do if you're feeling one of those people as well to help you. And they can be done daily. In Ephesians 6, 10 to 20, which I didn't, I haven't got up there, I'm afraid. We can put on the armour of God. We can pick up the sword of which is the word of God, and use the word of God. We can use the shield of faith to block those things that are coming through. 
we can put on the, the helmet of salvation. We can put on the breastplate of righteousness and our shoes can be ready for whatever's coming. Also, um, there's a book called Freedom in Christ that is very, very useful for those people that are thinking, oh, like, you need, need to build up that faith in you again. And I believe, but I don't know if we've still got them, there are cards that we can use to, um, that say, who am I in Christ? And then there's secure, significant and accepted. Those words that you can say and use. Um, so I'm going to leave this over to Nathan now because I know there's a the dedication to be done but um, don't forget those people don't let it slip away don't let Satan say, take away what God has already just put in your mind and we will pray for those later thank you